Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Breakfast with Brokers. We are here today with my dear friend, uh, Pat Light, a little bit different from a normal brokerage podcast here. Uh, He is more of an entrepreneurial spirit than in real estate. Um, So I'll let him introduce himself and kind of give us a little feedback on his life in the past. And uh, and then we'll jump into why I thought it'd be a good reason for him to come on here. So without further ado, Pat Light. What's up, guys? Uh, obviously, I'm here with Lisa, who has introduced myself as Pat. Uh, I own Green Rock uh, in Hoboken with a few of my, my buddies, and I own Saku, uh, which was my first restaurant. Um, and uh, I used to play Major League Baseball for the Red Sox and a few other teams. I've lived in Hoboken since 2013 uh, with my brother and sister. Um, and now it's just my brother. My sister moved out because she got married. That would have been awkward if she stayed there. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, and we're off. Yeah, and we're off. So <laughs> here we are, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Um, you know, as, as close as you and I are, I, it, I actually was just thinking about it earlier. I've only actually known you for a year or two years. I was talking to Colleen the other day about it, and it's, it's pretty crazy how, yeah. how fast that friendship happened. Um, but one of the things I actually don't know much about is your past experience with baseball, and that's partially because... I barely know what a baseball is. Uh, so <laughs> I think it's a good way to kind of kick this off, um, especially with all the stuff going on in baseball right now. And, um, you know, the, the big focus on sports with the Jordan documentary coming out and whatnot. What can you say that being in a major league, being a major league pitcher, how has that prepared you for entrepreneurial life? Uh, I, would, I would say the, the biggest thing is uh, managing stress. Um, entrepreneurs, as you know, especially during coronavirus, you know, both my restaurants have been shut down. Um, and I can't really do anything about that. Um, we haven't, you know, as an entrepreneur, I haven't, you know, made any money since February, minus, you know, obviously some other outside things like in the stock market that stayed open. Uh, but haven't brought any money from our business. Um, and then I have to work through helping my employees on unemployment, have, have, working through, you know, some of these people that, you know, rely on this as their main source of income. To be able to feed some, some, some of my cooks, feed their families this way, and, and so on. And then also on top of it, you know, dealing with landlords. And we have a good relationship with our landlord, um, and they're working with us as best they can. Um, but, you know, they're a business too, and they, they need their rent payments, which I totally get. Um, so the biggest thing has been dealing with stress. You know, I think there's a lot of people that aren't cut out for entrepreneurial life. Um, but when you pitch in front of 40,000 people, you know, for me, I got booed quite heavily when I've done those things. <laughs> uh, hence why I own restaurants now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, when you, when you, honestly, when you, when you pitch in front of 40,000 people, get booed, get death threats at the end of the game on Twitter and stuff like that, obviously nothing too serious. But um, you deal with all of that chaos when you go into a restaurant and maybe someone's food is a little late you don't really worry about it. You deal yeah. with it. If they, if they end up being so mad that they leave the restaurant, then it is what it is. But I'm not going to lose sleep over it at the end of the night. You just try to do your best and move on. Yeah. It's been, you interest, interestingly enough brought up a topic that I think is going to curtail this into a very different direction than we had <laughs> planned. But I can't tell you how many times I, I, a large portion of our friends are entrepreneurs. And as uh, my husband and I have gone on to start our own businesses and meet more entrepreneurs, 
I've started to observe people and see that there are very different types of people in the entrepreneurial sphere. So I one day made this claim that anyone could start their own business and be successful at it if they had the passion behind the business. Every time I bring that up to some other entrepreneur, they shoot me down immediately and say that that's absolutely not the case. Do you believe that you have to be a certain type of person to handle the stress of owning your own business? No, I, I would agree with you. Hmm. Um, Hear that? <laughs> I think any type of person can do it, whether or not they do it well or are able to handle situations in a, in a, good, in a good manner uh, and be able to you know, mitigate risk and be able to react quickly. Um, I, don't th- I, don't th- I think anyone can do that. Um, other, others are going to do better than, at it than other people will do, and those people will be more successful than the other people. But I think anyone can start their own business and, and, and be able to run it. Um, I mean, you're going to have people that run their businesses in the ground because they aren't dealing with things. But, you know, not everyone deals with the same problems. You might, you know, when, I, when we bought here in, I bought in Screen Rock back in September. When I bought here, I was not under the impression, obviously, I knew things would pop up. But if someone told me coronavirus was going to hit six months later, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't put as much money into this place as I did. Um, and I think a lot of people don't handle that, wouldn't handle that well. But there was, there's also a good chance that this place ran like the 18 years prior that it ran for 18 years without really any major, major hiccups like coronavirus. Um, and that person who ran it from year one to year 18 might have been might handle coronavirus horribly but never came across it and looks like a very successful entrepreneur. So I think it's, it's case by case. I think there's plenty of people that could start a business, never run into these major problems and be fine. Um, but if they do... I think it then, at that point, it takes a special person to be able to actually navigate that stuff and come out the other end successful. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that the, uh, a, thick, a thick stomach, a hard stomach is, is kind of the key to being able to go. That? I don't know. Strong stomach. Strong stomach. Strong stomach, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to your point, I think this is like a leveling situation yeah. in the sense that, of course, it's unprecedented and everyone will talk about how unprecedented it is, but it is very much leveling the playing field. So you have a lot, and I think, you know, we're skirting a topic that I don't necessarily know I want to go down that rabbit hole, but with online social media and whatnot, where people present this, you know, image of themselves that they're so successful and they have all these followers. Meanwhile, they bought all the followers and they're, you know, they're leveraged within an inch of their ass and they're just freaking out. And a situation like this that no one could have anticipated in their defense completely levels the playing field and, and shows who really had a strong business on the back end to really survive. So I, that's really interesting. There's actually my close group. So I have like, obviously, you know, everyone's got their extended group of friends and stuff like that. But the close group of business partners that are also friends of mine, there is a strong sense. And I've actually spoken to you about this with, in, in terms of real estate, because I look at all possibilities of putting my money to work. Um, where there's a strong sense that, not that we're rooting for it, but we think maybe, say there's 100 bars in Hoboken right now, we believe there might be 30 at the end of this. Yeah. Um, because there's places that weren't set up. Not that, they, they, you know, maybe bars just opened and they, you know, they're destined to fail because they didn't have the, even a chance to get going before coronavirus hit. Yeah. But there's a lot of places that probably weren't as in good a financial position and as much success as Green Rock had. And so if we take that playing field from 100 bars down to 30, uh, you know, the, the people in my group are doing everything they can to make sure that we survive this and we come out strong because we think that our business could even get a big kick at the end of it when we bounce back. 
yeah. thinking that there's going to be less competition in the area. Like a market share. Play. Yes. And it's, yeah. it's, 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 you know, do we invest, you know, how, however much it's going to take, you know, because rent is, is pretty high here, but, you know, is it going to take $100,000, $300,000, $300,000 to push into the, into the business over the next year, two years for another 20 years of even elevated success? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people pr- might not want to do that into a new business because yeah. that's scary. Do yep. you even know if it's going to be able to have that success? But we have such a good business plan here and a plan that has worked for a number of years that putting that kind of money into the business to help it survive this is not as scary to, to, to make sure and to ensure that it lasts for another 18. Yeah, and that's interesting because I've had a lot of conversations with other brokerage owners, both nearby and yeah. afar. Our, our company has like a global network, so we're talking to a lot of them. And, it, you know, we're a privately owned company that has no intentions of going public. And what that allows us to do is really maintain our business model the way we see fit and so part of my agreement uh when buying the company out last year was to expand into jersey city and they're you know god bless them they're lovely are telling me i i could if i wanted to possibly postpone that and and my stance is why you know like that was the plan i had before we're running so lean as it is you know if we get through this like we plan to with our various crisis scenarios if this goes back into you know quarantine or whatnot in the fall to me, it's it's an incredible position of strength to be able to do that because there's so many people that are smaller that are seeing this time as a, a panic. Yeah. Um, and you know, for companies like myself and others that are in a position to acquire other companies, that's that's it is an opportunity. Definitely. You know, and not for anything like I think just you and I are both nice people. Like I think it's a challenge to kind of juggle the fact of like okay, using that word opportunity in those situations, but but it is. And for those people that maybe have been struggling and they're just exhausted. You know, it might be the time for them to kind of maybe this, you know, jarred them back into being like, I don't want to be a business owner anymore. So to your point, it's really interesting. Um, I'm just gonna make sure this thing is still recording and it looks like it is. Um, Moving along to kind of I wanted to get a little bit into your clientele here versus Saku. Um, obviously very different establishments. <laughs> Extremely different, yes. As a 37-year-old married female, I feel like everyone turns around when I walk into Green Rock. <laughs> but I uh, wanted to see if you could kind of speak to your owning both establishments and the different people that, I mean, without being very you know generalizing, but yeah. the different people and how you guys have, have really attacked both customer bases. Well, the thing, so Saku was my first introduction to uh, uh, the restaurant world. And so when we, when, so my partner, Danny Gray, uh, he's been, you know, he's been in the, in the business a lot longer than I have. And he started out at Green Rock, went over to Grand Vim, was a very successful Grand Vim, and then asked me to come along to Saku. And what I asked him in return was that I just get the opportunity to, to kind of monitor him and watch him. Not like as an investor overseeing uh, an operator, but as a guy trying to learn from him. Like mentorship. Yeah, and yeah. learn how the restaurant industry works. I really don't enjoy um, all investments prior to that. I never got involved in something I didn't know. Um, my investment strategy has changed over the years. Um, and now it's, you know, it, you know, I have a close group of friends. Now, if I'm going to get into something I don't know, I'm going to get into someone who's an expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe Danny to be an expert. Um, and so I monitor him. I watched him. And I worked a little bit as well. I mean, not as hard as I'd like to, especially when you showed up. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I did. I tried to work. We're going to edit that out, team. <laughs> editing that one out. Thank you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I watched. And... Saku is a, is, a, is a different animal. Saku, you have a higher-end clientele. You have people that are going to come in, and you're going to spend probably $50 a head um, on food and drinks and, and an atmosphere. You're not, you know, 
It's not, it's not a takeout place really. It's not really a delivery place because you're just paying the same prices that you would to get that, you know, that service you get secure and things like that. But what comes to that is a clientele that expects more out of you. And when you screw up, uh, they're on you for it. Um, and a lot of people, you get a lot more bad Yelp reviews. You get a lot more people, you know, want to yell at you. And to be quite frankly, I hated it. You know, I went, <laughs> I went, you know, I went from, you know, this 20, I think I started at Saku at 27. Um, and, you know, went from this high, this big league baseball player to, you know, everyone, you know, pampers you to me having a complete other end to making sure everyone's experience is great. So interesting. Oh, it was a nightmare for me. I absolutely yeah. hated it. Like, you know, people yell at me because their food is late. I'm like, how do you not understand that your kitchen's backed up? You came in for dinner at 830. Right. We've been in business for a month. They're not ready for this yet. <laughs> Uh, but I just I couldn't grasp that. Yeah. So as nice as I was, I, I was ready to step away from it. And um, What's interesting, not to interrupt you. Yeah, no. You hit your flow there, but that's it's so interesting. So I've had a ton of agents come to me recently and be like, I want to be a luxury real estate broker. And I'm like, that's great. Like you see Ryan Serhant run around in his, you know, with his driver and all this stuff and they make all this money and, and people act like we ducktails, you know, Scrooge McDuck into a bunch of gold coins at the end of the night. And people don't realize the level of service that comes along with servicing a client yes. that's a higher-end client. So not to draw a parallel with Saku, but like it's, it it's, very, it's very different in the sense that like you want that bigger price tag. You want those higher-end clients, but can you stomach the amount of, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm <laughs> trying not to say what I want to say. Can you stomach the amount of service yes, that, that you're yeah. going to have to provide? Yeah, how many, how, much, how many times do you bite your tongue yeah. when they're being you know, idiots about things, right. to be honest? Um, <laughs> And it is. It's 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 a struggle. And as a per- again, even as a person with a social media presence, that you like to do social media as well. Like, you deal with a lot. One of my 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 dad's things he always talks about is that the, one of the reasons he hates social media, and this is coming from a you know, and a guy from the older generations, is you know, it gives all the idiots in the world a, a platform. <laughs> and I think it's done a lot of good, and it's given a lot of other people platforms to kind of speak that can help people along. Yeah. Um, I mean, when could you have ever, back in the day, gotten, gotten advice almost on a daily basis from a guy like Gary Vaynerchuk, who has built his own business? You know, you know Warren Buffett, you see constantly now. So it's done a lot of good, yeah. but you, you deal with a lot of people that don't uh, understand a lot of things in, in the way businesses work. Um, but then, going back to Green Rock and this type of clientele, is I can't remember the last time I went over to a table to make sure that they were okay at Green Rock. Green right. Rock you know, <laughs> you should I, definitely try that. <laughs> I, not, I do not want to start that trend here. This is a bar. You're coming to have some some bar food, a few drinks. If you're a little you know, if you're a little pissed off about something, you know, maybe I'll come over and bring you tray shots and we'll laugh about it. But this clientele is not as high maintenance. They're coming to have, you know, reasonably priced drinks, reasonably priced food, and enjoy themselves, have some, some good music. It's a very different type of people. And at a, as a twenty nine year old, um, now I much more prefer working with this type of clientele rather than us. Not that I don't love my customers over at Saku. Um, <laughs> Good save. Yeah. But this clientele is much more up my alley. It's more of my type of, you know, like me and you are right now sitting down at a bar and, you know, may or may not be having a drink. May or may not. May or may not. And enjoy. Edit that one too. <laughs> and, but enjoying ourselves and, and just kind of, you know, talking about stuff instead of, yeah. you know, someone yelling at me about, you know, their spicy tuna not being too not spicy enough. <laughs> what, the, you know, what the hell do I care about that? You know. <laughs> I mean, I will say too. I think you guys get overlooked for your food. The burger at Green Rock, mm. and I'm gonna make a blanket statement that this is a foodie, and everyone who follows me knows I know good food. This burger arguably is the best burger in town, mm. and I, mean, I I put my I would fully support that. It is phenomenal, and I yes. feel like you guys get known as like 
you know, the, the party bar, which don't get me wrong, it you is. are. Yeah. But there's a food presence here that I feel like is very overlooked. Well, it's interesting, inter- interestingly enough, we actually are pushing harder because our, like our sister restaurant that uh, down in, my partner owns down Red Bank, Red Rock, yep. they, are, they came to life as a kind of a food place. They yeah. have a phenomenal chef down there. Um, and we brought him on up here as a consultant right. um, to help us. And we actually launched the menu about a week and a half before we got shut down. So that didn't really help. But um, <laughs> we're making even a bigger push into the food market because Green Rock, you know, Green Rock, a little insight into their, their books, it's 5% food sales on an annual basis. We're doing 95% liquor. Like that's incredible. It's, it is incredible, but it's also a very undiversified business right if if hobo can change changes dramatically in the next 10 years into uh, more of a restaurant place rather than somewhere to go out for young people it turn that that business plan fails yeah. and it, or at the very least we make a whole lot less money yeah. uh, and profit a lot less um, so you know we see that trend as a possibility so why not hedge that with and let's start the food business now, trying to build that a little bit so we, we can monitor that a little bit closer. Again, I don't think it changes that dramatically. I think yeah. young people are always are going to come to Hoboken. I think it's a great place to come drink and have fun. It's safe. You, know, you can pretty much stay anywhere in walking distance. Uber is frequent. Um, so I think it will stay the way it is, but um, it's a possibility. I mean, you have to prepare for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, good point. Um, along that same kind of topic, we're seeing from a real estate perspective that Hoboken is kind of bifurcating around 9th Street and it's become this like uptown Hoboken versus mm-hmm. downtown Hoboken, which I think downtown Hoboken has always been, from a real estate perspective, the prices have always been high because people want it to be near the path. Now it's kind of shifting and the prices are getting higher to be uptown, larger uh, square footages, doormen, you know, amenity buildings, and the people we're seeing come from New York, which now due to COVID, I think is going to happen more. much more. Um, the, the whole value proposition for the New York play is, you know, they want to come out here. If they're going to come out here, our price per square foot rivals a lot of places in New York at this point. New York's been on sale for two years. Mm. So for us, it's like we really, to get those New Yorkers and the Brooklynites, we, we have to provide amenities or bigger floor plans or, you know, walking distance to everything. So we're seeing from a real estate perspective that the town really have two separate towns within a town. Um, interestingly enough, Saku is considered uptown. Green Rock is considered downtown. Would you say that those two establishments just based on their, like, I don't want to use the term theme because they're far from theme restaurants, but like based on what they serve, um, have always been bifurcated? Or do you think it's, it's a reflection of what's happening with the town from a, like, a gentrifying perspective? Well, I can tell you when me and Danny sit, sit down about even new ventures, new restaurants, stuff like that, which Danny, if anyone knows him that's listening, he's constantly looking for a new place. Um, so even when me and Danny talk about when we talked about Saku, when we talked about stuff, when we talked about other new places, we always talk about the location. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I don't think Saku succeeds down here. I don't think it's you know I, right before we closed we on Yelp we were the number one restaurant in Hoboken, you know taking over Grand Vin and stuff like that, which is you know amazing. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it does as well down here. This the people I think I think you're right. I think down here. People aren't coming here for great coming down here for great food. They're not coming down here for you know you know even a, you know we were talking about a speakeasy in the nearby area, and I don't think a speakeasy like a high where you're going to come down and spend fifteen dollars for a drink. Mm. I don't think people the clientele that comes downtown is looking for that. Yeah. But I think that same speakeasy, same thing, is successful uptown probably depending on rent and a bunch of other factors. Yeah. But I think that clientele is willing to do that, and you need in Hoboken. I remember. You know, you know, even talking to my buddies and stuff like that, I'd be like, 
yeah, I'm at Green Rock, and they'd be up the Madison. The place is one square mile, and they would think that it's as if we're, we're going, um, you know, a thousand miles to go get this, you know, to go come meet me at a bar, when in reality, it's, it's a mile yeah, away. You can exactly. walk, you're walking, you know, 12, bo- 12 blocks to come see me, yeah. but, you know, if you did that in Coltsnake where I grew up, yeah, it's just down the street. Right. But in, he, in Hoboken, it's looked at as super far away. Right, right. So I think you are. I think you are seeing two separate towns. And again, go back to my food thing, is you're seeing uptown Hoboken kind of grow and just kind of push its way downtown. And, I, and not that, that I'm nervous about that, but if that trend continues and you start seeing higher-end buildings downtown, now you start seeing, okay, now college kids, out, college kids can't afford Hoboken. Yeah. And now them coming to here and with a job in New York City doesn't make as much sense. And now maybe you see Jersey City get bigger and bigger because it's more affordable for those guys. They yeah. don't come to Hoboken. You need that, that. There's a lot of people that come from out of town to Hoboken. But you still need that base people of 20, 21 to 24-year-olds that can afford an apartment here to be able to keep that kind of green rock spirit alive. And I think, I mean, just to put your fears at ease, I don't think that's ever going anywhere. I think there'll always be that part of Hoboken that has that. I mean, we have the most bars per square mile, I think, aside from... I think in the world. In, I, I think, I know in the States. Yeah. There was one that I think surpassed us one year in, okay. like, Atlanta or something. Okay. Somewhere near, somewhere, anywhere. Um, and that's not to say, like, I, 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 we should state, there's, like, phenomenal restaurants down here. And that's no. what, like, kills me, is, like, you have La Casa over there, which is... Outstanding. You have, you know, Kucharamama, you have Zach's. There's like really, really good restaurants down here that I feel like, you know, the people that are really into food know that they're here and they come down for. But to your point, yeah, that, that bifurcation is, is getting interesting. So it's, it's, it's funny how you say it. All right. Well, how are you guys? I mean, you might not even have the answer to this yet, but I know everyone's going to be, you know, we had a whole slew of questions here that we wanted to ask, but I am going to kind of throw one on you and, you that's know, fine. you tell me if you can answer it or not, but how are you guys planning for any sort of reopening here? I'm sure that's a lot of people, like your bar is known for being packed and, you know, as many people as possible. And, and that provides this incredible energy here mm-hmm. that keeps everything upbeat. And it's, it's honestly, if it wasn't for you, I don't think I would come to Green Rock at this point. And I have to be honest, during this quarantine, I've been like, I can't wait to go there. Because it's like that energy that I think all of us are craving right now, being stuck in our homes, staring at our spouses, ready to murder everyone. So I think, like, I, how are you guys going to kind of transition to this? Next? Have you even thought about it yet? So we, it's honestly, it's something I think about pretty, pretty much every day. Yeah. Uh, the problem with it is there's not much of planning I can do um, based off of, until I get until I get the governor or the mayor giving us restrictions, I don't know what they're going to want us to do. You know, I watched Miami release some restrictions, and I've I've looked at that and seen like, okay, well, we might follow suit. We might look at you know, I'm sure mayor the mayor and the governor are looking at other states, seeing what they're doing, and kind of right. making their own version of it. Um, but there hasn't there's no set plan right now. Um, right now, the big my number one thing. Um, is not to keep talking about my landlord, but my number one thing is continue the conversation with my landlord right. and letting them know that you know rent our rent is high. We're right by the path. It's a phenomenal location, yeah. but without Friday, Saturday, and Sundays in the fall, you know that rent is is not feasible for a business like this because yeah. we just don't we don't make enough money right. to be able to afford that. So and they're working with us every step of the way, which has been fantastic. Um, but they want us as, as tenants as well. So it, that's my number one thing is continue to work with them to make sure that we can afford rent every month and not put ourselves in such a big hole that at the end of the day, we're screwed. 
Um, but as far as reopening, it's, it's difficult to tell what we will exactly do moving forward until we have restrictions. I think the number one thing that we're probably almost certainly doing is making uh, everyone that comes into the business uh, use their phone as their menus. Uh, go on our website and huh. look, at the, look at the menu that way just so it gives them a little sense of comfort that they're not touching something that's been touched constantly, yeah, even though we clean that. them every time. Um, we're gonna, we're probably going to institute that. Obviously, we're going to take out some tables, even though there's not many tables in Green Rock to begin with. Uh, but you'll see a little more space, space in the dance floor in the back. Probably is more tables now, and to separate them a little bit more rather than an actual dance floor, because the dance floor is not going to be used for probably. I'm hopeful. You know, the best case scenario right now is probably, you know, hopefully when football season comes up, as long as we don't have another pushback. Right. If we have another pushback, who knows what happens? Pushback being reinfection. Yeah, reinfection, yeah. which who knows what they'll do. Because um, there's a lot of theories out there. Uh, you know, I'm on the side that I don't know if it's possible that you reshut down the economy without sending the country into a, great, into a spiral, into a depression. We're yeah. already talking about a possible depression right now. You know, Ray Dalio, one of the best, you know, investors of all time, thinks we're already in it. Yeah. Um, you know, depression is serious. You know, it took the Great Depression. I think it was at its low. If you if you were in it at its high, and then it went into a depression, it took you twenty years to get break even. That's 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 stupid. Right. You know, no one makes money there. Right. Um, so uh, it, it's a little scary, uh, but you just you know take it day by day. Honestly, that's that's what we're we're going to try to do. I'm hopeful that we'll have no pushback in the summer, no reinfection. And that hopefully we'll be ready to go in September. Um, but I think right now that's pretty hopeful. Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Before this all happened, in my opinion, we were skirting a commercial real estate crisis mm-hmm. in Hoboken specifically. Just walking up and down, you know, they, they call it, the old guys call it the avenue. But walking up and down Washington Street and seeing so many vacancies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a combination of a lot of things, right? Like you had like, you know, if, you, if you're a landlord and your building next to you, you know, got whatever, Sephora, Gap, like mm-hmm. a major corporation to come in and put a thing and, and is okay with paying eleven to $15,000 for a space because in Manhattan, that's a steal, right? Mm-hmm. So to them, it's, it's pennies. Um, but then you had the landlords that are kind of trying to keep up with that and wanting to keep up with that. And like, rightfully so, right? Yeah. Capitalism at its finest. My neighbor got this. Why shouldn't I get this? Yeah. Um, and so we've seen a lot of that and it's really pushed out a lot of small businesses in town. Um, and just, you know, I'm on the Hoboken Chamber of Commerce and it's something that's definitely on our radar because it's, it's, you know, you want, this town was built on mom and pop businesses. So for people like restaurant owners, bar owners, you know, people that are, are really throwing their entire lives into stuff like this that aren't part of giant restaurant groups, you know, that like Tao and all yeah. those big things, like you want to be able to keep those people in. And what's, what's most concerning now is everybody's working from home. I mean, my sister's a trader. They told her she could never work from home when she started her job. She's, she's been trading from her living room. So yeah. it's like now if the entire world goes virtual, yes, of course, people will go back. But what, 30% by the end of the year? Maybe. Yeah. So you have these full floors of commercial spaces that are 110% going to be vacant, vacant or yeah. reducing their costs considerably, um, which is which is interesting how that's going to react to everything else here because Hoboken really needed an influx of commercial, like, support I guess is yeah. what I'm looking for and so it's it's interesting and it's good that your landlord's working with you because I think that's I think landlords right now are crazy not to you know well the thing is with landlords it's difficult and I understand their position it's like I always feel like when I don't fight with my landlord but when me and him are kind of bickering about you know well I need this and I need this it, it's 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 honestly it's it's an argument that shouldn't be happening because it's neither of our faults 
Like I'm asking for relief, right. and he's he's like, I can't get. If I was a landlord, I can't give relief. I don't. I don't have. I don't just have like you know fifty million in the bank to be able right. to. Like, oh, I can wait until this is over. Right. They're forced to not get rent from a bunch of people that say that we just don't have it. Yeah. So they're in it, and as a real estate company, I would imagine most real estate companies, big companies, are extremely leveraged out. Yeah. Because you know who buys buildings outright. You know, right. you typically you buy them out of the bank. And you buy them based on yeah. what you're going to get for rent for said exactly. building. So, so this yeah. is one of those times when you know they say I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this. They say curse away. Okay, they say shit <laughs> rolls downhill, right? Yeah. This is one of the times where it's kind of rolling uphill. Yeah. Because in the sense is I, the tenant has the most power right now in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm telling him, listen, I just want the money. I can't pay you anything I don't have. Right. So now he goes, all right, well he's gonna you know, fight with me a little bit, but there's nothing really he can do. And now he's gonna go fight with the banks. He's going to lose to the banks probably. The bank, the yeah. big time banks, is, those big banks, you talk about you know, in 08, you talk about Lehman and Bear Stearns all going out of business who never thought that these types of banks could go out of business. Right. You know, you're, if these people start losing all of these small, these small business landlords, how much money are they, are they going into their pockets? And can they stay liquid enough to survive? Probably right. not. But and eventually we'll do that. That's why, and you know my older brother, Sean, we've talked several times. We think eventually you're going to have, you can't do a re-shutdown in the fall if we get hit again, which is, could be crazy if this is really yeah. as deadly as we think it is. Right. And you, you almost have to let the economy come back and have people take their own risks because if not, you know, you know, Green Rock won't be around. Saku won't go be around. Small businesses in town are just gone. Right. So and, four and can afford it, but you know, I, and they might even say, you know, I know a few landlords in Jersey City that have said that some of the big time commercials have just said, no, we're not paying. Well, we okay. know you want us back. Well, right. There's like two types of bankruptcy, right? Yeah. Like Neiman Marcus is a perfect example. Yeah. You have the bankruptcy where you're you're filing bankruptcy and you're, you plan on never returning. You're filing bankruptcy to as uh, essentially assistant, right? Yeah. A protection, right? So it's like, it's interesting, like right now to see those, you know, that too big to fail mentality, like you have these people that are, you would think would never go out of business, they most certainly can, yeah. or they'll choose to. Like, I think that's the common misconception is mm -hmm. like, there's nothing wrong with your books or anybody's books in this town. It's a, it's a choice at some point. If yeah. you're a smart entrepreneur, you're going to close the doors before you're going to start bleeding. Um, it's the people that bleed out that mm -hmm. are the ones that are really not making smart decisions. So. Yeah. You know, we've, we've, we've discussed as an entrepreneur, again, I, you know, I probably have the most invested in Green Rock right now because it was recent. Mm -hmm. I haven't had the opportunity to make my money back. Um, and uh, I played a premium for a business that had been successful for 18 years. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, but I'm the first one to bring to the table as an entrepreneur myself and a person that wants to do this. I'm the first one to bring to the table of what's worst case scenario here. Do we walk away? Do we, do we you know, trademark the name Green Rock? And take take what we have right now, you know, declare bankruptcy, move on, and then just wait for it to be over, limiting our cost, and then open up, hopefully back in the same spot, but if not, somewhere else close by. Right. We think the Green Rock name pulls people to that place. Um, it is, it's a thought, because you, as you're now in survival mode. You're no longer in, yo, know, we'd like to be the good guy and help people and, and stay, try to stay in the same spot. Of course you want to, but you're in survival mode now, and you can't just be selfish about the place you're in or the stuff you have, you got to make sure you're making smart financial decisions. Yeah, no, I think it's safe. And I think that that's a conversation that any smart business owner is having right now. You know, we were, Engel and Volkers, I have to say, our leadership is, is fantastic. And he, you know, within, a like all, all of our shops are privately owned. Yeah. It was part of the attraction to me is being that entrepreneurial mm -hmm. spirit. I do have the stomach for it. So mm -hmm. for me, I was asked by a couple companies to open here for them. 
but I wouldn't be an actual owner. Yeah. I would have some sort of stake in a company. And for me, that wasn't attractive. Yeah. If I'm going to go, I know myself, I know I'm going to go all in. I want all the risk with all the reward and I'm willing to do that. But what's interesting about Anglo and Volkers is they treat all of their licensed partners as if that's not the case. So within a week of going under lockdown, we had our CEO on a live call talking to us about the fact that like, listen, this is how we do this top down. Everybody has three crisis scenarios that they deploy if you get to that point for said crisis scenario. Yeah. And I thought that was some of the best advice I got because we're running lean as it is. I bought the company in a bad state. Um, so it was, it's more along the lines of like, we're fine. Like we're, we're as low, we're running as low as we possibly can. <laughs> so for me, it's just, yeah, it's a little concerning that, you know, June and July might be a little, um, slow, but we're, we're actually still closing stuff. And for real estate, we're starting to see people come back in the past two weeks. We've seen showings on properties. We haven't had any showings on for four weeks. So it's interesting to see how things are going. And yeah. just knowing that crisis scenario schedule is actually very helpful. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, all right, well, let's lighten this up a little bit. Okay. Um, what is Pat Light's overall motto in life in general? What's like a favorite quote of yours or a mantra or do you well, the have entrepreneur, several? The entrepreneur, I'm sure I have several. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I have books I've read, I guess, now. I didn't read anything as a kid, but now trying to learn things, I you know, have a lot of quotes probably. But the number one thing that comes to mind always when people ask me this is um, – I have no clue who said it, uh, but I know it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> but, That's a safe bet. It's safe. Um, but I think is if you're not working for your own dreams, you're working for someone else's. I love that. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, the old 9 to 5. I have no problem people wanting 9 to 5s. You can't complain about it at the end of the day if you're not doing something to change that, in my right. opinion. Agreed. That's the whole Gary Vee thing. Um, but, um, you know, when you're working, you know, it, you know, I do some side work with Barstool. And I, I, Barstool is such a media, you know, it's they're crazy how big they are and yeah. how, how powerful they are. Um, so I look at that as a part of how I'm trying to help myself because I believe social media is a, a big part of how I'm going to be able to make money in the future. And I think it will be a great, great little revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use Barstool to help me get there. Um, but in reality, my, by me putting content under bar, content out under Barstool, which I think that my baseball stuff is good, um, I'm definitely helping Dave Portnoy right. you know, build Barstool bigger and bigger and bigger because if people are attracted to come listen to me, they're, I'm maybe getting like a small percentage, but I'm re- the big stuff is going to Dave. Right. Um, and I have no problem helping Dave because Dave, you know, if in this in this world, you know, Dave's you know scratching my back by letting me use the Barstool name to promote my stuff. That's exactly what I was just gonna say. And yeah, I mean, he he gets the he gets the money that comes in from clicks and things like that. Sure. Um, so, but in, in you know a typical nine to five person is really, you know, helping Dave. You see a lot of people go into Barstool, become huge under Barstool's name, and then try to leave and take their stuff with them. And, and rightfully so, Dave. Dave fights back. Right. Like, I made you huge. I'm not going to just let you, you know, go make your, all this money on your own. I'm the one of the biggest reasons you're where you are. Right. Um, so. Um, so it's becoming that person. Yeah, and I think, I, but I do. I think that that has always driven me to do. You know, I've taken on some huge risk uh, after baseball, but that's always driven me to work to make my dream come true. My well, now my second dream because my first dream was to make the big leagues. Um, this, you know, this after which base- you did, which I did, this, <laughs> this after baseball dream uh, of becoming you might what you know for your listeners is to become a great investor. Um, you know, Warren Buffett type. He's the kind of guy I look up to now. Um, is is that, that I'm working towards my own stuff rather than I'm okay helping other people. Yeah, but I'm not just working for someone else's dream to come true. And in, in a standard nine to five job, that just doesn't suit me. 
Yeah. And I will say that that happened when I was in corporate. I did online media for mm-hmm. years and I was blessed with a CEO who was brilliant and made himself readily available to anybody that would listen. And I actually had a business plan for a, a, an event planning company that I ran for a few years mm-hmm. and I brought it to him um, and he looked at it and, you know, very nervously, I'm sitting there in front of my boss who's of reading my ed- exit strategy. It was immediately <laughs> a very odd position to be in. Um, and he closed it and he was like, it's great. What's the problem? And I was like, well, you know, this is safe. Like I, I work for you. I yeah. have a great six figure salary. Everything's great. And he was like, this isn't safe. I'm laying off half the company tomorrow. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're fine. Cause I don't pay you enough, but half the company <laughs> goes tomorrow. Like you're never safe if you work for somebody else. And that's the thing I think that shift going back to what we were talking about initially, like if you have the stomach to be an entrepreneur and maybe that stomach is learned, right? Like maybe it's something that you get over time, but if you have the stomach to be an entrepreneur, you essentially have this, the, the, the ability to reinvent yourself and create a safety net for you and your family or whoever you care about in the sense that like you can always like if you're a serial entrepreneur and you absolutely love the highs and lows of doing this, it's like you can think of a pivot every time, you know, and pivot is such a buzzword now. Yeah. I feel like if I hear pivot one more time, I'm going to punch someone in the face. But I mean, you essentially pivot. like pivot, pivot. Every- yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but it, it is like a different mentality and it's, it's fun. It's like you are completely 110% in control, even in an unprecedented global pandemic crisis. You're in control. You're in control of what you're which doing. Is, which is relaxing a little bit. That yes. you have the control over it. But isn't that so messed up that we're sitting yes. here, we're, may we're or may not with cocktails, we're insane. at may or may not 11 a.m.? <laughs> you wonder why people think the only right people can do this. Right. Exactly. Yeah, the other quote that I always love is Warren Buffett always always said that if um, you don't have your money work for you while you sleep, you'll work every day the rest of your life. I love that. And that's actually really not that true. My dad worked nine to five his whole life, and now he's shout know, out to Papa Light. Yeah, Papa Light. He, you know, worked his, you know worked nine to five. You know, he did try to do uh, an entrepreneurial life and failed, uh, but. Uh, he later, you know, worked nine to five, did you know, went the classic American dream route and now lives a great retired life. And he, you know, he doesn't work every day for the rest of his life. But the, the, the idea with that Warren was at the same token was that my dad, you know, the income he had did go invest in the stock market and stuff like that. So it technically was working for him while he slept. So he was yeah. smart in that respect. He wasn't living paycheck to paycheck. But I don't think necessarily, I think honestly, a, a, a failed entrepreneurial attempt is actually a success. Like I don't, you learn, I don't you learn a ton. You, yeah. first of all, you learn more about yourself in the past year turning this company around. I've learned more about myself than I have in 36 years prior. Yeah. And that I think is like, I, I, I honestly, they say that and it's such a, a, like a weird thing that every, you know, Gary V esque kind of person says is like every failure is a step in the right uh, direction, yeah. but it really is in, in a yeah. weird way. So I don't it's actually, thing I don't like want to hear anymore. <laughs> exactly. But it is, yeah, but it is the same. And when you talk about like failures and stuff like that, you, you learn such a great deal. And I think when I first started in the, in the investing world, it was the stock market. And I still think that that's my baby. I think that's where eventually I'll still end up. Um, but uh, my dad always told me, I was, you know, 20, I think I started at 24 with my dad, 23 or 24. And, uh, you know, I was just like this, you know, those were great years. Yeah. You know, we, the, the market, you know, you know, almost never had a down year. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I can handle this. I, you know, I, you know, they would talk about people don't have the stomach for recessions and stuff like that. And my dad's like, you know, you've, you faced, you know, a couple of weeks of the down market. It was, you know, try facing a year, six months. Yeah. You, you don't know if you have the stomach for a recession until you hit a recession. Right. And we are, with every sense of the word, in a recession 110%. Right now. Um, That's actually something I don't think people realize. But if you actually look at economic data, we are full on in a recession right full now. Full on. Yeah. Full on. And, I mean, yeah, you talk about unemployment numbers. We hit, un- we hit uh, unemployment numbers in a month, what the Great Depression took two years to do. Yep. 
So that, that is mind-boggling. And there was actually, I saw, and I'm sure it circulated around the internet, there was a picture of Jim Cramer mm-hmm. on his Mad Money show. And it said, um, it said unemployment hits record, hit, or 14 million people out of a job. Unemployment hits record highs. And at the, on that same screen screenshot, the top left was, Dow has its best day since the Great Depression. <laughs> and it was just like, what, what is going on? And that's, when, and that's where I think people lack, and that's where I talk about the stock market. You know, a lot of it has to go with hope. It's an, it's an irrational market. But you, know, you talk about the, the, the fundamentals of a business. The, people, the businesses are getting crushed right now, minus the select few of Amazon and some of the things that are online companies. Businesses are getting crushed right now. Yeah. But somehow their stock prices are rising already. And I think, that's, I think it's aggressively too early. Um, and I think, I think we, have, we have a good possibility of getting hit again. And if we start having – it's going off bad news. If we get hit bad news again, the market's going to tank. And I don't think people are ready for it. Right. But then it also goes back to the thing. Like I, I attend this luxury conference in Bel Air every year. Mm-hmm. And they had an incredible financial planner on last year that was like every single person tries – every investor that tries to time the bottom of the market is yeah. losing. Yeah. Like anybody that actually has real wealth and real knowledge about wealth knows that they continually buy – and when the market dips, they just buy more. Yeah. And that, I think, was jarring for me as someone who had a family that did not do well in the stock market that actually you know, hurt our family finances. That type of thing. I'm very conservatively invested with a 401k, and I have a guy, and he does what he does, and I don't even ask about it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not – you and I have gotten on this, like, tangent one night. Yeah, like, we're, you're day trading, and I'm sitting there scratching my head while you're not buying buildings, but that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> we won't go there. Um, but th- that's – it's – it is interesting to think about the size of, like – and it goes back to our opportunity question, like even right now, you know, like, yes, the sky is falling. There's no end in sight. I frankly don't have any faith in, in plans that are putting out or anything like that, because mm-hmm. frankly, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think it's anybody's fault. This is unprecedented territory. Just making stuff up right now. Exactly. <laughs> We're just throwing something <laughs> at the wall and seeing what's Exactly. So for that purpose, I mean, I'm oddly calm and I'm interested to get your opinion. Like what, what how are you feeling right now knowing all of this going on? Like for me, as a business owner, I'm very strangely calm. Um, I will say I'm, I'm calm as well. My biggest thing always, and um, this goes back to probably just the, my personality, and I'm sure it's got to be your personality too, knowing you for as long as I've had, is I'm calm as long as I'm doing something. Yes. I can't if I, so true. you know, those days, you know, when, you know, I drink, I have too many drinks and I'm hung over <laughs> the next day and I'm not doing anything. Anxious. Part of the day goes to anxiety because I'm like, oh, I got to do something. Yep. You know, there were... <laughs> We're possibly in a depression right now. I'm sitting there right now watching – you remember the 90s show Charmed? No. It's three witches. I never thought I'd be into this damn show in my life. And <laughs> now I'm sitting Christ. watching this Charmed thing. This is another edit. This is another edit. <laughs> but I'm watching Charmed and I'm like you know, ordering food, horrible food offline. I'm like this is not the person – this is not acting like a depression. And I don't go crazy. You know, most of my work right now is social media and, and building my own brand because I have so much time in my hands. Right. Um, so I do a lot of that stuff while also you know doing Green Rock things. But um, this is you know I just got to be doing something as long as I am attempting. And that's why, again, if you go back to the Gary V Gary, Gary V's of the world, even Warren Buffett's and his investing advice is is if you're standing still, you're you're not doing what's going on. Yeah. You're not you're you're moving backwards essentially because everyone else is moving forward. So the space in between is growing. It's almost like inflation. Yep. You know your money and in, in, that's not making over two percent. You're losing money every year because you can't buy as much next year with that same amount of money. Yep. Um, so you have to you have to be doing something. And as long as I'm doing something to try to right the ship, 
I'm calm. Yeah. If I'm sitting, you know, it's like the this, 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 this ship is sinking and I'm in the, I'm in the deck just chilling, you know, with a mimosa with Lisa. <laughs> You know, as fun as that might be. Let's be honest. You and I are never drinking mimosas, <laughs> but <true>. nice try. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as, as fun as it might be to sit on the deck while the ship's sinking, it's probably better to be trying to right the ship or whatever the case may be. So as long as I'm doing something, I think it's the same for you, yeah. I can be very calm in, in, in chaos. Yeah, it's, it's funny. The amount of people like close to me that reach out on a daily basis, like because I think they think I'm literally going to go into like a mental depression because I don't have 7,000 things happening yeah. at one point. I'm like, guys... It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. If I post on Instagram that I'm like on a Sex in the City binge for nine hours, they're like, "Sweetheart, you're right. Like, you need us to come over." I'm like, yeah. "No. Like, I just need a minute. Like, I'm okay." But yeah, it's it's true, and I think that goes back to the stomach and the, the of all of that. So I totally agree. All right. Well, we are nearing a record long time for any of my podcasts, but you're so good at this. Well, I mean, you told me it was gonna be 20 minutes to start. I knew that was not true. I I. Spaced out an hour minimum for this, because uh, I know when me and you get to talking, you, it seems to never end except for when we have to. <laughs> <laughs> when Pat drags me out at four a.m., like yes. it's you're done now. Your Pat light time is over. Yes. Um, what is the biggest? We'll try and make these a little bit more rapid fire okay. answers. What is the biggest misconception about being in the res- restaurant industry right now? Would you say? Maybe not COVID related. Let's do pre-COVID answer. Pre-COVID. Um, it's really difficult to say. I would say, uh, and I, I again, it's really hard. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to get into a business that, into a group that right now has yet to have a failure of a restaurant, mm-hmm. which you talk about the restaurant industry is like supposedly 80% failed in the first year. So I've been very fortunate, but I think that, in my opinion, if you make the right connections and you, and you meet the right people and you don't try to take on something with you and your buddies to start a bar, right. I think the common misconception is that. It is extraordinarily difficult to be successful in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. I think if you're able to get with the right people or you're the right person, I think you'll be just fine. It's really not an outrageously difficult business to be successful in. I just think you've got to be the right type of person to run that business. And I think Danny Gray, Paul Marcotte, those guys know restaurants. Awesome they know guys, how yeah. to do these things. I don't. I, if I would say, you know, I have my partner here, one of my other partners here is Brandon Devino. He's, he's the operating guy, the thing you see, like all the beers and stuff like that. He orders, he takes care of the whole place. You know, I'm more the back end guy. Without Brandon, my first two months here would have been a nightmare. Yeah. I wouldn't know that. I, I played baseball. I don't know how to, I, I, I figured, I'd figure it out eventually because right. I, I have to. But um, there are certain people that really know how to run restaurants. And if you can latch on or if you're one of those people, the, the numbers shift in my opinion, immensely into the favor of success. People like good restaurants. They like being out. They like doing things. I think if, you're, if you can, again, oh, latch on right or be that person, I don't think you have to be that scared of getting into restaurants. So you're actually touching on a point in real estate that has been always – like I, I was very successful very quick in real estate because mm-hmm. of my mentor who has since passed away, Nick mm-hmm. Costantino. Shout out to Nick Costantino. Um, that, that mentorship – quote unquote program is the only reason I was successful fast and I got very good at what I was doing because I had someone that I could go to and it sounds like your mentorship with essentially mentorship with Danny Gray in, in, in essence Brandon like that is what then brings on good people. And I think what's happening, and I, this could be different in your industry, although it sounds to be pretty the same. Everyone thinks they can open a bar. Everyone <laughs> thinks they can open a restaurant. Someone cooks really well one night, and they're all they're like, this is what we should do with the rest of our life. All of my money should go to this, yes. right? The same thing is with real estate. So it's so easy to get a real estate license. 
And then you have these people running around like chickens with their heads cut off and they don't understand what goes into actually building a business. And so it's like for our company, like we're growing very slow in the sense that I only want people to get that understanding. Like, so you are coming out of six months mentored with a, a senior agent I have or me, and then you're coming out and you're understanding the ins and outs of the business. So you can go out to the world and properly advise clients. To me, mentorship is like, and it sounds like also with the oh, real estate, yeah. it's, it's huge. It's, it's a huge component of success. And I think both of our industries have so much frigging ego associated with it that they can't get past the fact that like you do need frigging help. Yeah, like, I, I, think both, I think both our industries have that, that thought process that's easy. Yeah. I think you see a lot of, I don't, I don't want to categorize people, but you know, the thing that's coming ahead is like stay-at-home moms. They, they want a side gig. They want to, they want to contribute to the yep. family. They want to, they want to they, you know, maybe the kids are now in high, sc- yeah, high school, middle school, and they yeah. want to go do something. Love it. But you, you see a lot of them go get the real estate license. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm guessing, I would say about 10% of them are actually successful, successful in, in, in actually brokering deals on a, on, a, on a basis that actually brings in revenue. Well, forget, forget stay-at-home moms in general. In New Jersey, the average salary of a real estate agent is $23,000 a year. I'm just going to say that again. Yeah. 23 grand. How are you say even living of- here? Like, <laughs> I, that's, that's insane. And so it's like, if you're doing it as a side gig, to your point... And you're treating it as a side gig, that's fine. But the only way you make money in real estate is if you dive in. And it sounds like the only way you make money in in restaurant is if this becomes your entire life. And I grew up with a family that had restaurants. So it's like, I get it. I didn't see my dad until I was 12. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, who's this guy? Right? Like, because that's what it takes to be successful. Yeah. And I think that that is interesting. I think this this whole COVID situation will definitely level the playing field in all industries. A lot of people will go out. A lot of people will go out of business. A lot of people. And again, I don't root for that in any capacity. No, of course not. But... At the same time, the entrepreneur in me and the entrepreneur in you, you know, if there are people out there that want to sell their restaurants and they want to get out, mm. am I going to bargain for a really cheap deal? Right. Yeah, because I think that you're, in your opinion, it's risk-reward or you're valuing. They're going to value the cash higher than the business. I'm going to value the business higher than the cash. Mm. But I know I get you low. Not that I'm trying to take advantage of the situation, right. but... You, you need the, you need the money, and I need, I want the business. And if I'm in a position to take advantage of these situations and help, and I still think that I'm kind of helping you because you're you're one out, and you're gonna get a, you're gonna immediately get a cash flow into your into your life. Yep, it, it works out for both parties. Yeah. Uh, but again, I do. I think I think real estate and restaurants. I think you have a two industries where it feels like that people feel like anyone can do it. Yeah. Which yeah. is should, you know in the real estate business, you know I can just go get my license and I'll just do showings to my friends. Yeah. You know, how many of your friends are looking to buy an apartment, right. especially in Hoboken? Right. You know, who's got you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars saved to put down down payment for right. a place? <laughs> None of your friends, I promise you. <laughs> you know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And how many times can you and your buddy, you know, you think you look at a restaurant? Oh yeah, I just got to sell some white. I just got to put white claw in. Right. Oh, successful bar. We win. We win. Totally win. You know, it's a hard business. It's not. You can't just do that. Yeah. And I think people get tripped up there and they end up running out of business hopefully not running in too much um, too much too much time to do that yeah yeah well it looks like we have a uh, an inspection about to happen so I'm going to lose Pat Light although this was by far the longest I think we've ever discussed this um, although he just seems to be going to the back yeah he's fire inspection <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so that's good so any any parting words any advice to anybody it's you know while a lot of people that are realtors follow to this a lot of people that are entrepreneurs or on the fence about being an entrepreneur anything any advice you can offer people um, 
Oh no, you know what I want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you want to talk about, thing. Lisa? Do you know what I'm reading right now? What are you reading? You're, this is going to blow you out of the water. Okay. That I am reading this. Okay. Phil Jackson's Eleven Rings. Oh, and I'm a super successful guy. Have you read it? I have not read it. You need to read this. Okay. So as a business leader, it's been an interesting thing for me to shift from being, to your point, you mentioned it earlier, you were the star player, everyone was coming yeah, to yeah. you versus, you know, I went from having everybody trying to get me to come to their company versus me having a company and trying to get people to come to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And that transition has been incredibly hard for me, not because I have an ego or any stretch, but I didn't know how it worked. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's odd for me to go up to somebody who's my peer and be like, hi, want to work for me? Like, it's weird. It's yeah. a very weird thing. It's a big challenge for me. And in turn, making our team a cohesive team. And this 11 rings book has turned out to be one of the best business books I've ever read. And I don't think that was Phil Jackson's intention. I think it was basically a memoir. Right. But from a team perspective, is there anything, any advice you can offer from being part of a team, for being, you know, a pitcher is in, in essence a star of a team? Yeah. Is there awesome. anything you can offer for that? I think that'd be really happy. Okay. Um, so he's going to do oh, yes, a little. The biggest thing with teams is, um, and I've always said this with coaching, even what I've learned in baseball, I never wanted to be a coach in baseball, but what I've learned from my coaches, the best ones, they don't treat everyone differently. They, they do treat everyone differently, I should say. Um, some people need a you know, kick in the ass to get going, and other people need a softer touch. Um, I would say in the, in the regular world, the people that need a kick in the ass, the ones that are trying to take advantage of the situation, the people that are, are just not going to work that hard for you, most people work harder for nice people. And people that they want to work for, in my opinion, in the re- in the regular. Some guys in baseball, you need to kick in the ass. But in this world, I don't think that's true. So I think treating everyone differently and helping them through their challenges along along the way is the biggest thing you can do in helping to build a team and lead a team and be able to make that team work the best for you, and and eventually hopefully make a successful business. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Any parting words to any entrepreneur or? real estate or someone you know just dreaming right now we've had a lot of time to sit home and dream any uh first first off you know i'm not going to say like never give up that's i don't like that um (laughs) sometimes you should 110 percent give up up. (laughs) (laughs) don't dig yourself a bigger hole um but i will say um six minute abs (laughs) John Bay style. You remember him? Way back in, he's back in the 90s. He used to make fun of him at lunch in middle school. But um, honestly, entrepreneur life, I think, is such a unique, unique thing. And I, it's like a challenge. You know, I think that um, the biggest thing I can tell people is, is to just keep going with everything. I don't think certain, certain things shouldn't hinder you from reaching you know, what you end up, what your, your vision is for your business. And I think people can get can get discouraged a lot and get discouraged way easier. I think you talked about right in the beginning, we talked about how certain people have the stomach for it. Mm-hmm. The entrepreneurs that don't have the stomach for the, the big stuff, I think get discouraged too quickly. I think they, they hit a bump in the road and, and they're done. I'm over it. I think COVID, although right now looks like a huge bump, if you're not, and I can't speak for every industry, but the restaurant industry seems like we're going to come back in a year. You know, yeah. and I think that's the I think I think we might be the worst because we have we we live off of crowds, uh, minus the sporting industry who you know lives off ticket sales. But they got TV deals. Green Rock doesn't have a TV deal. Um, Side note: I would love it. You should work on that. <laughs> um, but I think I think 
you know, take it, take it in stride, and 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 again, as we all hate the Ross Geller pivot, but you need like right now, Green Rock's making our most most money we're making right now is off merchandise. And I, I think as we grow that, I don't think that goes away when we reopen. Yeah. And now we're all, all of a sudden now in, in 10 years, we're on this podcast again talking about how 60% of our, our money, our revenue stream is coming from merchandise sales. Yeah. That's, that would be ridiculous. I, will it happen? I don't know. Right. But we, we'd come back here and we'd laugh about how COVID was uncertain times, but we started one of the biggest revenues for the business during it. Yeah. Um, there's opportunity in chaos. And I think that people need to... I know that was amazing. Oh my god! That's the scotch talking. Um, <laughs> Not scotch. There's no, but no scotch. <laughs> but there is. There's opportunity in chaos. I think people need to take advantage of it. And I think people need to look for, rather than getting discouraged. I think people need to look for it. And sometimes the opportunity is closing your business, cutting your losses, and taking the cash you can get from that business and doing something and else. And going doing something else. Yep. But and but other times it's sticking it out and knowing that this business has something. The biggest thing Green Rock has right now is its name. People love Green Rock, and we it's you know it's not the parties because we can't do that, but. People love the business so much and love the Sunday Funday shirts and stuff like that. Now we've transitioned to a, into a merchandise company and are able to make some things that people still enjoy and still willing to buy a $20 hat, $25 hat that we're able to profit off of and help the business. And who knows where that grows and where that goes in, in the future. You know, Barsky makes a lot of money off, off of merchandise. Yeah. It's a huge merchandise company. It's a yep. media company. They get off ad sales, but they have an enormous amount of merchandise sales. And could Green Rock eventually turn into that? Who, who not maybe that? not Barcelona huge, but it could eventually. And I think people need to pivot more rather than get discouraged. Yeah, and also like to your point, not it doesn't have to be Barcelona huge. If it's mm-hmm. huge in Hoboken in one square mile, that could make you know exponentially yeah. more money when you profit it out. So I, the, I, one thing that I, I, I always looked at, and one thing I learned in business is that I used to grow up, and you as a kid you look at like, you look about the White Claw game right now, right? Mm-hmm. Bud Light just came out, Bud Light Seltzers. I don't. I used to think that why would Bud Light Seltzers do that? You know, why would they come up with that? They're not going to beat White Claw. White Claw was first to market. You know, they're huge. Everyone loves White Claw. Right. People have you know, you know, they like. Well, I don't want to try the Bud Light. Let's try the the White Claw. Keep right. going with the White Claw. The Coke Pepsi. thing. Yeah, you have that, but people don't. I don't. I now realize that Bud Light's not trying to beat White Claw. They're just trying to take a small percentage of the market share, because now. Is what they're what now all of a sudden now their expense your their expenses will be mm-hmm. in comparison to how much market share they have. They're not going to lose money on the Bud Light sales. They'll make money on the right. on the ten percent of the market they get because they're not spending for the ninety percent that White Claw has. So they don't need the White Claw. They don't need to beat White Claw. They probably don't even give a crap about beating White Claw. Yeah. They just want that little percentage they got from the people that enjoy their you know watermelon or whatever the hell it is. More than they enjoy White Claw, and now they have now just made another revenue stream out of it. And I think that those types of pivots and those types of things, you don't need to be the best. Just look for different places to find revenue, and you, I think your business eventually will be successful. I love that you just said that. We have 20, 28, I believe, brokerages in Hoboken in one square mile. And when you, when you present the actual numbers, at, with only 200 units on the market, arguably at a time, mm-hmm. when you present those numbers to any smart investor, they're like, what are you, crazy? Yeah. Meanwhile, every big brand has wanted to come here, right? And I think that you just hit the nail on the head. It's like, you don't have to be the best. You just need a certain part of the market share, and you profitable. need to do what you do right, and yes. you need to make it profitable. And I think that that's a phenomenal place to end this, because I've taken up way too much of your time. So, Pat Light, my dear friend, favorite drinking buddy. The best. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is the best. Uh, this ne- the next time we'll have Pat Light on this will be in Tijuana waking up from a very long night. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know you're a busy man, and I appreciate the time you are giving us. Um, so if anybody uh, is, when the world does reopen and you are able to frequent establishments, please go buy Green Rock um, and buy Saku um, and, and shake Pat Light's hand or just wave from him from afar, from six feet afar. That yes. would, that's probably the new norm. Um, but thank you. And thank you. We're actually doing this podcast in Green Rock with masks and gloves and all of that. So I want to thank you for providing the venue, um, given the virus, we're unfortunately unable to do our normal studio. So this was awesome. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Pat Light. And we'll talk to you soon. See you guys. Bye, everyone.